Welcome to Dodgers Daily. Another just absolute gut punch last night. It looked like the Dodgers were going to win. It looked like they were going to keep pace with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Gain a game on the San Francisco Giants. It looked like Emmett Sheehan was going to get his first win in the major leagues in his major league debut. How fantastic was he in his six innings of no-hit work? We're going to talk about his performance here in a minute. We're going to talk about the bullpen who gave up the game again last night. So super disappointing. Hey, man, you know, I like once a year to go through all the Rocky movies. I just love those movies. They're inspirational for me. I enjoy them. I just think they're great movies. Okay, so that was like a 1977 Rocky Balboa gut punch last night. That wasn't just your typical, you know, middle of the garden, middle of the mill type gut punch. That was a Rocky Balboa gut punch last night. That was tough, especially just putting all the different scenarios together. Your rookies, other than James Altman, didn't get didn't get the run in and didn't get the, the runner over in the 10th, which was a huge deal. Your rookies played great, and by and large, you know, hey, it was your veterans that just didn't come through last night. Mookie Betts had a couple of big mistakes. Victor Gonzalez gave up the three runs. Bruce Dar Gratterall gave up the two. And then again, you had a chance to win the game in the 10th inning after Caleb Ferguson did a fantastic job. James Altman couldn't get the runner moved. Michael Bush had a really good at bat. Hey, you got to be impressed with the at bat. He had hit a ball really hard to right center field. And if that runner had been moved to third base, it would have been the game-winning RBI sack fly. But because, you know, hey, I talk about all the time, the slug is good. But, hey, to, to win playoff games, to win close games, I know Jerry Harrison touched on this last night on the postgame show. He was pretty fired up, by the way. Uh, and the one thing I do disagree with him on, I think, you know, looking at the pitch limits of Emmett Sheehan for this year, I think it was the right decision to pull him out after the sixth inning. You know, we're going to get into some of the bullpen numbers. You had Bruce R. Gratterall ready to go. You had Caleb Ferguson ready to go. You had uh, you had Victor Gonzalez ready to go, who had been, you know, we'll, we'll get into some of those numbers here in a minute. And then obviously you had Nick Robertson, Taylor Scott ready to go as well. So, hey, just looking at, you know, and I know Jerry Harrison, his idea was, hey, let him go out there. And then if he lets a guy get on base, then take him out. I would rather, you know, we've gotten into this discussion before. I would rather, you know, just let the reliever like Bruce Dargrattle, who did give up the two runs, okay, I would let them just have their, their own inning to themselves. I think that's a cleaner way to do that. And, you know, and also the pitch count, although it was 100, it was below 100. I'm telling you, at the minor league level, hey, in one inning, if a pitcher goes over 30 pitches, 30 pitches are over, they come out of the game right then. Doesn't matter if, the first, if it's the first inning or what inning, it, what inning it is. They do not allow any pitcher to throw over 30 pitches in one inning, and they are super, super careful with these young arms at the minor league level. So having said that, I have. I think it was 100% the right decision to take out Emmett Sheehan. We're going to talk about the decisions that Doc made as far as the guys that he brought in from the bullpen. The only one that, that I disagreed with, and I put that out. This is not second-guessing. You can go back to my Twitter and my Facebook group. Hey, join that Dodgers Daily Facebook group if you don't mind, or follow. Give Dodgers Daily a follow on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all those social platforms. Would certainly appreciate that. I put the tweet out before the inning ever started. Hey, buckle up your seatbelts. Have literally no idea 
what's getting ready to happen here with Bestia coming in. He is an emotional dude, so we'll see what happens. I put that tweet out before the inning started. I was not confident that he was going to come in, uh, be able to come in in the emotional state he's in right now. He went back to AAA. I got to see him quite a bit in Oklahoma City. He did well there. But having seen that, what kind of what I saw from, you know, the, the underlying aspects of his performances, very, you know, kind of roller coaster emotion with uh, roller coasterish emotions. Like, hey, when he's going well, everything's good. When he's not going well, he gets frustrated. And I just didn't think emotionally he was ready for that high leverage situation last night. And so I tweeted out about that. So when I say that, I don't like to second guess. That's too easy to do. That is a first guess. That was my opinion before it happened. And I still stick to that opinion. And I would have stuck to that opinion and, and been pleasantly surprised if I was wrong. I would have loved to have been wrong. In that scenario, I'm wrong way more than I'm right. So we're going to chew on all those decisions, some of the guys that he brought in, you know, and we're going to talk all about that. So we have a busy show today. We're not going to get to the minor league action last night. I will say this, Gavin Stone, he continues to struggle. I've said it on a couple of different occasions. He gave up 10 runs last night, and it's just one of those deals to where Hey, you know, he's just, it's like, how far do you go down until you hit rock bottom? Because you need to hit rock bottom before you start coming back up. That's where he's at right now. I am totally confident this dude is a, he is just champ. I've said this, I think, a lot on the last podcast or one of the last two. Champion in mind. He has really, really, really good stuff. He will come back above the surface. I've said that about Andre Jackson again. He will come back above the surface. I am not at any way, shape, or form doubting that. But right now, not going to sugarcoat it. This is a tough moment in Gavin Stone's baseball career. This is a crossroads. You know, hey, he had he, he's done so much the last two years. You know, he had all the love coming into this season. He was the minor league pitcher of the year last year. And now, hey, he's put all that work into it. And right when you have the chance to become a consistent major leaguer for the rest of your life and reach the goals that you've been working for your entire baseball career, everything goes sideways on you. Man, that is just devastating to watch. It is just sad. But having said that, you know, hey, you just got to figure out a way to get through it. You got to figure out a way to get over this bump in the road. Make it a bump in the road. Don't make it your destination. Make it a bump in your road. Get past it. Think about your next outing, you know, and pull yourself up like I always say. Buy your bootstraps. Let's get back to work and let's put a game plan together and get back to being the Gavin Stone that we know that you can be. Okay, so that's where he's at right now. Tough night last night. Maddox Bruns had a really good outing for high A Great Lakes, Oklahoma City. They had a good game last night. So we're not going to get into the minor league action. We have plenty to talk about on our show today. We're going to talk about some of the decisions. We're going to talk about Emmett Sheehan. And we're going to get to five questions in the Dodgers Daily Mailbag. So we have a good show for you today. A lot to get to. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get right to it. And let's talk Dodgers baseball. So the Dodgers lose 7-5 to last night to the rivals, the Giants. Boy, what a gut punch I mentioned a minute ago. This is 1977 Rocky Balboa fashion of a gut punch last night. Because of all the things that were going so well, you had the lead. The rookie, Sheehan, had pitched so well. By the way, Emmett Sheehan, six innings, no hits. He sat 95.8, and he touched as high as 98. So pretty much exactly what... 
You know, we told you what's coming from him that hey, he can hit the 98, 99. He's going to sit the he's going to sit somewhere around 95, 96, 97, you know, and that's pretty much, you know, where he hit last night. We'll get into more of his performance here in a minute. And hey, the bullpen, they gave it up, no doubt about it. Okay, you know, you look at Victor Gonzalez gave up 3, Bruce Dargraderall gave up 2. Alex Vesia gave up two. Seven runs in total by your bullpen. You're not going to win any games giving up seven runs by your bullpen in the last four innings. I talk about the formula of going six innings and just having to, having to map out three. That's a great formula to win games. The Dodgers, other than, other than the Thursday night game, continue to prove that formula wrong. Although, I will stick by it. It's, you know, if, if you're not... If you're hitting that formula and still not winning games, obviously that that's 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 not because that's not a good formula. It's because hey, you're just struggling as a team and you're just taking gut punch after gut punch. That's what that means. Okay, so the bullpen obviously didn't perform like you need them to do. But having said that, hey, you know the offense the offense only scored in two innings. They only scored, you know, they scored one run. Uh, they scored one run in an inning, and then they had a four spot early in the game to take a lead. So the offense kind of sat on us laurels too. So although no doubt, I, I'm not going to shift blame. This blood, the blame of this game is on the bullpen, no doubt about it. I think also the offense needs to take at least some of the blame because again, you only scored two different innings. You scored the four spot in one inning, and then after that four spot, you only scored one run the rest of the game. Then in the tenth inning, after Caleb Ferguson had done just a wonderful job getting out of the tenth inning with no runs, you know you have the the runner that starts at second base. James Outman can't get the runner moved over. Okay, you guys know I love James Outman. He is one of our mailbag questions. You know Jerry Harrison really hit on this last night. You know. Hey, bunt, do whatever you have to do. Hit a ground ball to second base. Hit a fly ball to right field. Whatever you have to do, that runner has to make it to third base. I have said this many, many different times. I love the slug that the Dodgers have. But in playoff settings, okay, you have to be able to slug, yes, but you've got to be able to execute. I mean, if you can't execute, if you can't move runners, if you can't hit sack flies, you know, then – you're not going to slug every single game. You're going to have games where you don't slug, and there's going to be some times where, hey, you win a 3-2 to two game, or last night maybe it would have been a 4-3 to three game, or whatever it may be, or 5-4 to four game, where you have to, in an inning or two, especially at the beginning of a game or the ending of a game, you've got to execute and just play good baseball. The Dodgers didn't do that last night. And because, hey, you know, again, if the bullpen performs, you're not, you're not worried about that and you're not in that situation. But it didn't. So at that point, you needed to move that runner. You needed to get that run in and you needed to win the game and everything. You know, it wouldn't have been forgiven because there's still, you know, that whack a mole type leaks everywhere in, in the boat right now, if you will that need to get fixed. So it wouldn't have just forgiven everything, but it sure, you know, it's always a lot easier to fix things, you know, through a win than it is through a loss. Okay, Emmett Sheehan, let's dive into his performance. Six innings again, no hits. He sat 95.8, he hit 98. Okay, the spin rate on his four seam averaged 21.78, and it got up to uh, over 2,400 which is very, very, very good. And here's the thing, you know, I got a kick out of one of the reporters asked him last night about his two-seam because if you look at the TrackMan data from his performance last night, it listed him as throwing a two-seam. I put it on my social media at the time. I giggled when he asked that question because Emmett Sheehan doesn't throw a two-seam. 
But like I told you yesterday and in his prospect feature, he has a, that low three-quarter slot. And because of that, he gets that good arm side run to it, that right turn to his four seam. And I said it emulates that Bobby Miller two seam type pitch. And because he gets so much run on that four seam, it acts as a two seam. It acts exactly the same as that Bobby Miller two seam was. As a matter of fact, that was my exact reason why I thought the club would bring him up over Landon Knack. And lo and behold, how about this? Almost 70% of the time, he threw that four seam. Okay, yesterday mentioned, okay, instead of throwing to a scouting report, he was going to throw to his strengths, and it was going to be explosive enough to get major league outs. That certainly proved to be true, because when you throw 69% four seams to a major league lineup, and you can go six innings and not give up a hit, that goes to show you how explosive his fastball is. I took a lot of heat. I'm going to tell you right now, I took a lot of heat in the in the offseason, okay, and then early in the season when I made the statement that Emmett Sheehan has him and Dustin May at the time because I love Dustin May's sinker. It's just like Bobby Miller's. It's that 99 with a good right turn. I made the statement at the time that Emmett Sheehan and, of course, Bobby Miller was not pitching at that time, so and he wasn't throwing his two-seam as much, that Emmett Sheehan has maybe the most explosive fastball in the entire system, and at that time, I'm just telling you on social media, you know, there there were a lot. I took quite a bit of fire for that statement because, again, at the time, Emmett Sheehan was still kind of a double A guy, and he just got brought up to double A late last year. So he was in high A Great Lakes late into last year. People didn't know a whole lot about him, but. I took on fire from people who obviously didn't know a whole lot about him because that fastball is legit, and the fact that he threw it 69% of the time and gave up no hits, okay, is absolutely proof of that. So very proud of Emmett Sheehan for throwing his game last night, doing what, hey, being the best version of Emmett Sheehan and not trying to doing something that he's not by trying to follow a scouting report. Maybe as he gets more experienced and gets more comfortable at the major league level, you can incorporate those type of thoughts into it more. But right now, like with Bobby Miller, hey, let's do what he is really good at. Give the club all the the, the credit in the world. They have developed game plans for Bobby Miller, you know, with the right turn to his two seam and 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 Emmett Sheehan that have allowed them, instead of pitching to scouting reports, to pitch to their strengths. Okay, then, you know, uh, the, his 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 best secondary pitch, you know, I have it on my article and in my prospect feature, easily the changeup. Okay, so when you look at last night, the way that the organization set it up, okay, almost 70% fastballs, uh, four-seam fastballs. Then the changeup was the second most pitch. And then when you put, when you get yourself in position to strike, okay, when you get yourself in position to get a swing and miss type of out, then you go ahead and bury that slider, something that, that Emmett Sheehan did. So he used that fastball changeup combo to get all the strikes in the strike zone, to get himself in a position to be able to throw the slider as a go-to out pitch. And because of that, because of the fastball and, and changeup did such a good job setting it up, he had a 25% whiff rate on that slider. That is absolutely Emmett Sheehan to a T. 
He pitched to his strengths. He did exactly what Emmett Sheehan can do. He was the best version of himself. And like I've said many different times about him, the best version of Emmett Sheehan is good enough to get Major League outs. Now we have visual evidence. So from that perspective, very, very, very exciting. Okay, so how about the bullpen last night? We're going to get into some mailbag, mailbag questions here in a minute. Okay, bruised our Gratterall gives up the two runs. Okay, but here's the deal about Gratterall. Okay, Gratterall's ERA on the year is 240. Okay, coming into last night, okay, coming into last night, he, Gratterall, had gone scoreless in four outings in a row and in 15 of his last 16 outings. There was no way to foresee Bruzdar Gratterall coming in and giving up two runs. Again, you know, sometimes it happens. It's baseball. Baseball is a hard game. Okay, but again, he had gone four scoreless outings in a row and had gone scoreless in 15 of his last 16 outings. So why would Doc not trust Bruzdar Gratterall in that scenario, especially when you have a 4 to nothing lead? Okay, and Bruzdar Gratterall had given up just one run in his last 15 innings. So, hey, you know, that, that that's an arm that, that you should have been able to trust. That's an arm that you throw out there, and it's the right decision to throw him out there in that scenario. And you just expect him to go out there and hang a zero, something he didn't do. Okay, Victor Gonzalez. He gave up the three runs. Okay, Victor Gonzalez, after last night, his ERA is 393. Okay, and that, but again, that's after giving up the three runs last night. But check this out. Victor Gonzalez coming into last night had gone scoreless in 16 of his last 20 outings. So by and large, before last night, he had been good. Okay, he had gone scoreless in three outings in a row, Victor Gonzalez had, and he had given up just one run in his last five outings and just two runs in his last eight outings. So no reason not to think Victor Gonzalez won't go out there and do his job as well. And here is another deal. You know, when he came in, you had the two-run lead, which set up well because last night was just the second time, just the second time all year that Victor Gonzalez had given up more than one run. He's given up three spots on two different occasions this year. Last night happened to be one of them. So, hey, you know, as far as – you know, bringing Victor Gonzalez into the game at that time, there was no reason to think, hey, he had only given up more than one run one time all year coming into last night. You had the two-run lead. So, you know, hey, it set up very well for the Dodgers. It just didn't happen. Okay, Alex Vesia, like I said earlier, I've already covered this, but on my social medias, I didn't like that decision. I said that, and again, I don't like to second-guess I like to first guess if I didn't come up with it before it happened, there's no way I'm going to criticize it afterwards after I already know the results. But you're welcome to go back and look at the timestamps of my social media on Twitter and Facebook. I, I made the statement, you know, in between innings when I, when I found out that Bessie was coming in, not sure about this one. Buckle your seatbelts because Bessie is a roller coaster ride. So from that perspective, you know, just – from the emotional state that he's in right now, I didn't think he was ready for that type of high leverage situation. I didn't think it was a good setup for him having to start with a runner at second base to begin with in the emotional state he's in. I didn't think it was going to work out. I wasn't, I was hoping it did, uh, but I wasn't surprised that it didn't. Okay, so 
Those are my thoughts on last night's game. Let's get to the mailbag questions. All right, question number one, the bullpen. Boy, we've talked about it. It's that whack-a-mole. It seems like every time you think you have this part of it figured out, it springs a leak, and then about the time you fix that leak, you spring a leak over here, and it's with guys who I've already talked about the numbers today that have either been good this year or certainly have been good in their careers in the past that you want to give enough runway to get back to the type of pitching like a guy like Yancy Almonte, who was fantastic last year, Alex Vesia. You're trying to give those guys runway to get back to be the type of pitchers they were last year. So, okay, what would your bullpen rotation be? That was question number one. Okay, so if the playoffs started tomorrow, okay, I've said the formula. You tell your starters, hey, I need six innings out of you. I need four runs or less, hopefully less than four runs. Okay, and then at that point, every single day, okay, Evan Phillips, Caleb Ferguson, Shelby Miller, Bruzdar Gratterall, I would use Phillips, Ferguson, and Miller one inning every game. That's that's your three innings. If your starter goes six, there's your there's your three innings. And then I would rotate Bruzdar Gratterall in there maybe as a replacement to Shelby Miller, and then Caleb Ferguson would be the left-handed guy to face the left-handed matchups. So I would shrink it down. You know, so many times, you know, you know, this, this happens like in basketball teams as they go throughout a game and throughout seasons. You start with, you know, depth of like a, an 11-man rotation, and then whenever it gets down to crunch time, you've reduced that down to maybe six, maybe seven guys. So – I think right now, if the playoffs again started tomorrow, Evan Phillips would pitch in every single game. Caleb Ferguson would pitch in every single game. And then I would rotate between Shelby Miller and Bruce Dark Gratterall. And one of those two would pitch in every game as well. Okay, so the guys that are what I call on watch for the trade deadline. Okay, so those guys are Yency Almonte. Okay, because just too much inconsistency this year. And the track record before last year, okay, doesn't sell you on the fact that it's guaranteed that he's going to get get back to being the pitcher that he was last year. Not a guarantee. So I think he's on the on the watch list as far as the bullpen arms that you're wanting to get a really good look at before the trade deadline to see what you got. Okay, Yancy Almonte, Nick Robertson, Taylor Scott, Robertson and Scott both pitched last night. Neither one of them gave up a run, although the, the performances before that had been rough for both of those guys. So, hey, those are guys that need more innings and not necessarily, you know, saying, hey, are these are our playoff guys. We need to see if they might become those guys and get a good look at them before the trade line, deadline. And I think Victor Gonzalez, although I mentioned, you know, earlier his numbers have been good, I think I think he's on the on-watch list because, you know, again, kind of like Yancy Almonte – Hey, he had the good year with the Dodgers. You know, last year was injury-ridden. I don't think you have the track record to just say for a guarantee, hey, if we start doing this, this, and this, Victor Gonzalez will get back to being the exact pitcher that we had in 2020. I don't think you can guarantee that. So for that perspective, I think he's on the on, on watch list. Evan Phillips has been good this year. I think you have enough track record with Bruzdar Gratterall. I think Caleb Ferguson has you know the good enough stuff and I think he's shown recently that you can trust him and you know so that's who I would go with Phillips every day Ferguson every day okay and then a mix of of Gratterall and Miller and then your on watch guys are Amante Robertson Scott 
Victor Gonzalez, and then, hey, maybe bring up a Landon Knack, maybe bring up a Nick Nestrini, maybe a Kyle Hurt, maybe a Nick Frasso who threw last night for the AA Tulsa Drillers and extended. So it looks like Frasso is, you know, he's he's getting healthy again and getting in a position where he can throw multiple innings. Maybe bring up a guy like that and evaluate them like you did uh, Emmett Sheehan last night. Okay, question number two. Who are the prospects that you think provide enough prospect capital to get a starter that would be a top-end starter? Okay, so, all right, hot take of the day. And now you need to understand, I am a prospect hugger, not in the sense that I want to keep all the prospects for the Dodgers and just hoard them in a system and keep them for the Dodgers. I cover these guys, and, hey, if they're not getting – their clearest path to the major leagues. I want the Dodgers to trade them and get somebody in turn that they can use at the major league level because I want every one of these prospects to have the best chance possible to make it to the major leagues. If it's not with the Dodgers, fine. But, you know, kind of like Ryan Noda, who's with the A's right now and doing very well. I believe he leads the American League in on-base percentage. His average is over 260. His OPS is somewhere around 900. Not a surprise for me. I want, you know, situations like that. I would rather him be playing for the A's right now at the major league level than be stuck playing first base for AAA Oklahoma City, still in AAA. That, that, so I'm that type of prospect guy. So when I say, hey, here are the guys that I would trade, this in no way, shape, or form means that I don't think that they're great players, that I'm not super high on them, but I think they're guys that, hey, they're that, the Dodgers are very deep at their position and can absorb their loss and then gain, you know, maybe a need at the major league level while absorbing their loss. Here are the guys that I put on that list. Andy Pajes, who right now is going through surgery and he, you know, in his very first triple A game this year, right after he got promoted, he got hurt. So he'll be back next year. I think he still has enough prospect capital to, you know, garner, uh, or, you know, if you put him in a package with some other guys to get, you know, a really good pitcher type guy. Okay, so Andy Pajes, okay, this is going to be a hot take, Diego Cartaya. It's not because he's struggling this year, no doubt about it. Diego Cartaya is struggling. He struggled at the end of, the, of last year. It doesn't have anything to do with that. Diego Cartaya will bounce back. He'll be a good offensive player. He's way too talented. It's just simply because the Dodgers right now have Will Smith, who in my opinion is the best catcher in baseball. Then they have Carson Taylor, who is massively underrated. Then they have Dalton Rushing. Then they have Yaner Fernandez. Then they have Jesus Galise. Then they have Tyron Lorenzo. Then they have Jorge Puerta. You know, you have all of these guys. And then Frank Rodriguez, who has been playing very well as of late for IA Great Lakes. You have all these wonderful catching prospects that kind of like the Cape Ruiz situation with having Will Smith and Diego Cartaya, Carson Taylor, and these guys. You can you can trade Diego Cartaya, you know, put him in a package with somebody else to go get a top end starter, and you can absorb that loss. So I would I would not hesitate to trade Andy Pajes, Diego Cartaya. I think the Dodgers have plenty of outfield, uh, plenty of outfield. Uh, uh, talent in the system. Plus, I think you can always go get you know a guy like David Peralta who's playing very good offense, and you can go get an uh, an outfielder that can hit much easier than you can go say get an infielder. You know, maybe a shortstop or maybe you know a reliever or a top end starter. So from that perspective, Andy Pajes, Diego Cartaya, 
Okay, Michael Bush. Now, not because I, you, you guys know how high I am on his hit tool. Now, I hope the Dodgers, the path is that he ends up being the starting third baseman every day. You know, if they don't, you know, I know Max Muncy has a $10 million option next year. So they'll probably pick him up. But I would like to see uh, Michael Bush, I, I've said it a million different times, get 300 major league at bats. So I hope it's with the Dodgers. But, hey, if they don't plan on making him an everyday starter as soon as next year, this guy's already closer to 30 than he is 20, then he needs to be moved right now when he's at his top-end value. You know, this you're going to get the most value out of Michael Bush right now as you would any other time. So if the Dodgers don't have plans on making him an everyday starter next year, everyday starter, everyday starter next year, then then he needs to be dealt. The Dodgers need to get something in return for him. So, so far, who do we have? Andy Pajes, Diego Cartaya, Michael Bush. That's some pretty high-powered stuff right there. Okay, so Gavin Stone. Okay, and again, it's not because Gavin Stone is struggling right now. It's simply because I think the Dodgers, with their system, they do a better job with riding four-seam type guys, tumbling change-ups, slider type stuff, guys. I don't think they do quite as well as an organization with guys that that need to throw two seams to the bottom of the zone to move the ball. I call that old school. You know, hey, if you grew up in the 80s and 90s, hey, locate, keep the ball down in the zone, and movement is better than velo. That's how we all grew up, no doubt about it. Okay, I don't think the Dodgers do as well with pitchers like that as they do the Bobby Millers, the Emmett Sheehan's, the Nick Frasso's, the Nick Nestrini's, the Kyle Hurts, the guys that just throw 98-99, they get some horizontal movement to it, and they can overpower hitters with their fastballs. Then they can throw tumbling changeups and left-turning sliders. I think the Dodgers do better with that style of pitcher. So from that perspective... I think Gavin Stone, hey, I think he could be a great major league pitcher. Go to an organization that embraces the sinker at the bottom of the zone, that embraces the movement, that embraces location. Give him runway. You know, he'd say he gets traded to another organization. They say, hey, Gavin, you're a starter on this team, you know, this entire year. We're going to give you this entire year to see what you can do. Just relax and be Gavin Stone. I think at that point he would be a very successful major league pitcher. Not to say he can't do it with the Dodgers, but, you know, hey, it's a struggle for him right now. So from that perspective, I wouldn't hesitate to move Gavin Stone. And also, it's, again, another position that the Dodgers are absolutely loaded. I mean, completely loaded as far as pitching goes. So although Gavin Stone is great, you can absorb that loss because you have, we saw Emmett Sheehan last night, Bobby Miller, you have Nick Frasso, you have Kyle Hurd, you have, you know, guys like Alec Gamboa, John Rooney, you know, and all these starters down Nick Nestrini. I'm going to miss somebody at the double-A level, so I'm going to stop right there, that are just awesome pitchers. You know, we've seen going straight from double-A to, to the major leagues, Emmett Sheehan do it. So from that perspective, I think you can absorb that loss. And then Landon Knack, I think he's another guy. He's in the Michael Bush category. Hey, either use him or move him. Okay, he's to that point to where he's a four-pitch strike thrower. And also, he's more of a Gavin Stone-type pitcher. He relies on location. He relies on movement. And he relies on landing Four pitches in the zone less than he does Velo. And I think that's a setup that the Dodgers are less good at than they are with Emmett Sheehan's setup where, you know, he has that that explosive fastball. And that's, again, I said it yesterday. I keep saying it. That's why I think they chose Sheehan over Knack. And that's why I think it was the right decision. So the five guys, let me say them again, okay, that I think 
I would trade right now to get the right guy. Now, don't be stupid. Don't go out and get a just you know a Joe Kelly who has a five year, a four or five ERA to come over and be a relief guy. Don't don't deal him for somebody like that. It would have to be a top end starter that matches your salary structure as far as the years that you're willing to to you know invest in somebody, and it would have to make sense. But if you found the right trade, a guy that makes sense, okay, the guys that I would trade again. All right, Andy Paez, Michael Bush, Diego Cartaya, Gavin Stone, Landon Knack. That, those are the guys that I would I would get aggressive with at the trade deadline, try to find exactly what you need, whether it be a reliever, it would have to be somebody who's elite, okay, or whether it be a top-end starter, find what you need. Those are the five guys I would do it with as far as a trade package. Okay, question number three. Is it best for Johnny DeLuca to play occasionally at the major league level or play every day at the AAA level? Tough question. Okay, one of the guys I coached with for, oh, shoot, 15, 20 years, he was a first-round draft pick in 1972. He was a catcher, and if you've never heard of him, his name's Eddie Daves. That's because you have heard of Ted Simmons. Eddie Daves was the number two catcher in the Cardinals organization from the from basically the mid-70s all the way to the early 80s. Okay, and the reason why he didn't get brought up to the major leagues is because they didn't want their second best player at one position not getting every day at bats. So he got stuck in AAA every day so he could get every day major league at bats just waiting for his opportunity. It reminds me of Hunter Fiducia right now. Lo and behold, Ted Simmons could hit. He was awesome, never got hurt, and he never got a chance at the major league level. Okay, so having said that, okay, if Johnny DeLuca gets sent back to AAA, it's not because he's not really good. It's not because he's not the second. But, you know, he, he's, it's probably because he is good and the Dodgers think so much of him. They don't want to waste, you know, days without him getting at bats and make him rusty and that kind of thing. I actually talked to Luke Williams about this. He said, hey, you know, you go up. It's exciting. It's great. But then all of a sudden you realize, hey, guys come back. You start not playing. And he point blank said it's really tough to do. So I think – it was great to get Johnny DeLuca up. I think it was great to get that taste in his mouth, to get the Major League experience underneath his belt. Okay, at some point, I think we're probably right to it. If you're not going to start him and give him every day at bats, then he needs to go back down just simply because he needs those everyday at-bats. That's a balance. I think to this point, it's all been good for Johnny DeLuca. I think we're at the point right now to where he needs consistent at-bats no matter where they're at. Okay, now obviously Johnny would probably kill me for saying that because nobody would rather be in AAA than in the major leagues. But having said that, I'm talking about the long run. I think in the long run, it would be better. It's going gonna, it's gonna to help Johnny DeLuca stay in the major leagues longer if he gets – consistent bats. Tough question, but that's my answer on that. I think that time is coming where you have to evaluate, hey, what is our game plan with Johnny DeLuca? You know, does, you know, that that question of the the everyday at bats versus the major league experience, I think the Dodgers are going to have to address that very shortly. Those are my thoughts on that. Okay, next question. Do you think James Altman will come back around? Okay, obviously, uh, there's nobody more confident in James Altman. He is an absolute dog. I love James Altman. Okay, struggles. I, I, I think everybody thought there was going to be a struggling period at some point. I don't think anybody thought, including myself, that it would be this extensive. I'll say this. In the last three games, and I've, I've made this comment 
on social media a couple times. He's looked more decisive. His swings have had more confidence behind them. And to me, he has just looked much more like a confident hitter. There's been times where he had at bats where he just went, you know, just went, man, he's he's fighting it right now. He's struggling. Just didn't look confident, didn't look decisive. I don't see that in him right now. I see decisiveness. I see a guy that's starting to take pitches again. I see a guy that's seeing the ball and he's he's not anxious and he's allowing the game just to kind of come to him and starting to swing at least more at the right pitches. I see that and that's usually the precursor to more success in the future. You know, so we'll see, but I do think James Outman will break out of it obviously. I think he's in the beginning processes of that for the reasons I just gave. Okay, the last question for a mailbag today. What are your thoughts on Miguel Vargas? First of all, super, super impressed with the way he's played second base. Miguel Vargas, he is a typical Dodger in the sense that he is not going to swing at pitches that are out of the strike zone. That's very good for him. Okay, and I may do an entire video on this, but Miguel Vargas, in my opinion, this is totally my opinion, I could be wrong, he is more of an east-west bat angle hitter. Okay, and and in my opinion right now, he is trying to hit – like a north-south type hitter, and there's big differences to that because you know it, it, when you're when you're an east-west hitter to get to that inside pitch, you got to stay behind the ball a little bit better. You got to get your hands out in front of it a little bit more. There's just some nuances I could get into that are really geeky that I don't want to get into on this show. Okay, so because in my opinion he is an east-west hitter, but trying to hit like a north-south hitter, like say a J.D. Martinez type guy. I think the inside pitch is, is eating him up because he's trying to get to that inside pitch the way that he always has as an east-west hitter, but because his bat angle was more north and south, it's jamming him, okay? And I think it's, I think it's just, just strictly a mechanical issue. I think it's a tweak that he has made. I don't have any inside information on this. This is just what I've seen with my own eyes. I have thrown a couple of pictures out there to show the visual evidence of it. And from that perspective, I don't think he's handling the pitch on the inner half as well as he should. And he's not taking that pitch on the outer half, quite frankly, to right center as, as well as he did you know, in the past. Of course, it's major league pitching, so that could be all of it. I mean, it could be just 100% that, hey, he's facing major league pitching, and that's why you know he's not exactly to where we hoped that he would be at this point in terms of his numbers. But the first thing I would do if if I was working with him, and again, don't get me wrong, the Dodgers have the greatest instructors in the world, a lot of guys that know a hell of a lot more about it than I do. I would make him back more to an East and West guy. I would get him balanced. I would get him staying behind the ball to where he can get his hands and just let him let his hands work, you know, because his hands are fantastic. That's what I would do with him. Okay, so we'll see what, how it goes there. But those are my thoughts on Miguel Vargas. And that is our show for you today. So, hey, thank you for all of you who sent in questions. I'm going to have a mailbag every Saturday. So in the comments, either leave me a question in the comments, DM me you know, on Twitter or Instagram, or you can send me an email at casey.porter73. That's C-A-S-E-Y dot P-O-R-T-E-R. 7-3 at gmail.com. We will have a mailbag session on every Saturday show from here on that has been requested, and that's what we're going to do. So, hey, thank you for tuning in, and as always, so, hey, thank you for tuning in, and as always, go Dodgers.